Welcome to The Doctrinal Component with Tom Nettles, brought to you by Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries is a reformed teaching organization committed to the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. For more teaching material by Dr. Nettles, please visit founders.org. Welcome again to this edition of The Doctrinal Component. This is Tom Nettles, and we're continuing our look at the phrases in Titus 1, verses 1 through 4. And see how Paul ties up a large number of doctrinal ideas, truths of revelation, in the simple phrases that he uses as he begins to admonish Timothy, uh, Titus, as to how he is to conduct himself there in, in Crete, where Paul has sent him. The text reads, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Now, we have <coughs> looked at Paul's apostleship, uh, the faith of God's elect, their knowledge of the truth, uh, the fact that all of this leads to godliness and is consistent with godliness. We've looked at the hope of eternal life and the idea of God who never lies. But now we see the fact that this God who never lies has promised something, and it says he promised it before the ages began. That is, he promised it before chronological time began. Uh, we have to ask the question, uh, if he promised it before chronological time began, to whom did he promise it? Uh, this promise occurred within himself as a part of the eternal communications of love between the persons of the Trinity. This promise was given to the Son, and it was given to the Son, in a sense, uh, to him personally, that there would be a, a people that over whom he would be shepherd, over whom he would be master and lord, that would praise him uh, in eternity uh, and in a fitting way, all the three persons of the triune God, uh, but in a way that is uh, uh, gloriously fitting to the Son who gave himself as a ransom uh, to buy this people for himself. So the promise was made to Christ, but then it was also made to Christ in the anticipation of his taking to himself our nature, uh, becoming one with us. And so the promise is, in a sense, made to us also, to us in the person of Christ. So as we look at a passage like uh, in, in Galatians, where Paul talks about the promise that is made to Abraham, we come to understand that this promise that is made to Abraham also comes to all the elect, those who are of the faith of Abraham. Uh, and it is a particular promise that is given to the seed of Abraham. And finally, the one who is the seed of Abraham, that is Christ in his humanity. The promise, therefore, is something that relates specifically to the gospel of justification by faith, to the people that would come into this relationship of righteousness as a result of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this promise referred to 
uh, and the, the covenant of redemption that, uh, with which it is identified in several different places in Scripture. We can find it in the book of John in chapter 17, uh, where Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer on account of those that he will redeem. And he says in verses 1 and 2, uh, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. In eternity, therefore, there were certain persons given to the Son. He promised the Son, that he would bring them finally to glory. Uh, this is in the covenant of redemption and is consistent with the phrase in Titus, uh, which he promised uh, before the ages began. Then we also see in <clears throat> uh, John 17, the uh, as Jesus continued his prayer, he says, um, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified as in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So Jesus prays not only for his disciples that are with him at that time, but he prays for all of those who will be brought into this saving relationship through the word that they preach, that is, through the truth that has been revealed. We find also in John chapter 6, where Jesus begins to talk about those that the Father has given him. John 6, verse 37 and through 39, uh, Jesus says, I've said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has, that it, that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. We find also in John chapter 10, where Jesus refers to this uh, same reality of those that the Father has given him. In verses 27 through 30, Jesus speaking to those who were trying to kill him, who believed that he was blaspheming. He said... <clears throat> Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, that you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, but do you say of him whom the Father has consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said that I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. 
So what are these works that Jesus is doing? Well, first of all, they're works that are consistent with the, the character of the Father. But he is speaking more specifically about the works that the Father sent him into the world to do. And those things that the Father sent him into the world to do is to give his life as an atonement for the sins of his people. He says, to him the gatekeeper opens, meaning Jesus himself. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Jesus is speaking about those for whom he gave his life, those whom the Father gave him. And it was this specific work that he came into the world to do. He was doing the works of his Father. We see also this covenant referred to in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21, where the writer there says, Now may the God of peace, who brought back From the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, referring to what Jesus had said in John 10, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so this covenant of redemption in which Jesus becomes the, the shepherd of the sheep, in which he dies for those the Father, whom the Father has given him, and he loses none of them, is all anticipated in this phrase that Paul writes to Titus, that God who never lies promised before the ages began. Well, next time we'll look at the phrase, and at the proper time manifests his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted. I hope this edition of the Doctrinal Component has been helpful. I'll look forward to our time together next time.